You ready for some word today? Praise God. If you have your Bible, uh, or you've got your Bible apps, iPads, phones, so forth, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we want to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We've been teaching in a series for uh, several weeks now, and so I want to begin with our, our favorite verse for the series in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're talking about uh, going big. That's the title, go big. The Lord doesn't want us to live small, insignificant lives. He doesn't want us to think small, live small, be small, be restricted, be limited. But He wants to do amazing things in and through every one of our lives. No one's left out. You're in the middle of an opportunity to have God's plan come to pass in your life. Uh, however, God is sometimes restricted by us. He is almighty God. He is unlimited in might and strength and power. But He has given us a free will. He has given us a, an ability to believe or not believe. And there is something called the inward part of us. This Bible calls it the heart. And this must be enlarged in order for us to contain the fullness of of what God's plan really is. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 reads, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same I speak as to children, you also be open. So that's the, that's the directive for all of us, that we would be open and not be closed. King James Bible says, be ye enlarged. Be ye enlarged. So we are and we can be uh, made bigger inwardly. That inward expansion enables outward increase. But for us to desire or try to obtain outward largeness, or increase or greater life without increasing inwardly is going to cause a big, big problem because we will not be able to contain it. We will be crushed under the weight of what that really big life is. So He always works in us first and then we experience it outwardly. Uh, Message Bible reads, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life we didn't fence you in the smallness you feel comes from within you your lives aren't small but you're living them in a small way I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection open up your lives live openly and expansively praise God there is a principle in the word of God uh, that is really revealed many different places in different ways, but to, to sum it up, I would describe it this way. The principle goes like this. A person becomes what they behold. You become what you behold. Okay? Behold is an older word, but it works better with the B and the B. Uh, uh, it has to do with what you see. If an individual will 
uh, look towards and look at things continually within their life, those images are transferred from the outside to the inside. And when a person has an image of life inside of them, they have that vision, they are, everything is working to produce it or make it happen. If I want to change the externals of my life, I need a vision of something more desirable, something better inwardly. I cannot continue to look at the wrong thing and I'm going to end up with the right thing. If I have bad visuals with my physical eyes, it most certainly will impact the belief system I have and the vision I have for my life going forward. Our intentional efforts to look at something creates in us a vision that then becomes our future reality. There has been a, a long discussion over the years in relationship to television and movies and the, 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 the argument, the discussion goes like this. There is the question posed of does television, do television programs, do movies, do they reflect our culture or do they cause the culture? Are they just an image of what is taking place or does their existence actually have a causative effect on what does take place in people's lives and therefore in society? I think there's probably some truth on the first side. I say some, meaning, yes, those who write, those who produce these uh, images and so forth, are, they are to some degree reflecting what is happening in society, some more than others. But it, there is absolutely, in my belief, without question, a causative effect in what is playing on our screens to what is going to happen in life. And we have screens in front of us now more than ever because we carry little screens in our pockets, right? And there are video images of everything under the sun being pumped into us. And if we do not understand the makeup of a human being and how the visual aspects of what goes into our eyes affects our lives, then we are going to, we are going to suffer a lot of harm and not know the root cause. We're going to ask questions, God, why? What is happening? And, and not recognize that it is a result of all the visual things that we have let into our hearts over the years. Okay? I think uh, to some degree there is a whole bunch of hypocrisy in, in those who are producing many of these television shows and movies. Um, much is being said in recent days about a lot of these television and movie producers who have taken advantage of uh, women who were trying out for parts in, in shows and there's been abuse and there's been, 
I guess, rape in some situations. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing that has taken place with those who have great power um, to give opportunities uh, to these people, and they'll sometimes do what they want them to do. Here's where I find the hypocrisy, though. It is among those same the same group, the same crowd, though, even those who are speaking against those obvious, you know, crimes and obvious problems in that industry is some of the things they make are the very same things that they're complaining about what happened to them in real life. And this is not to excuse the former by any means, but to, to think that, that a person can be involved and, and we're going to stand up and fight for, you know, for families or fight for marriage or fight for, for women not being abused in this area. And then they also celebrate Hugh Hefner. They also laud applause on, uh, on some of these individuals who are the primary drivers of that stuff being so ingrained in society and, and in our hearts and in our thinking. Where it becomes normal just to view this. And we think, I, we can view these things and stare at them year after year after year. And it's never going to impact our own lives and how we conduct ourselves. Foolish. Foolish. There is a, there is a, a principle, and we'll begin to show you some in the Word, that we become what we behold. And my hope is that, uh, that you would self-govern that you would put restrictions on your own eyes. That, that there would be some, some greater discernment, at least amongst those who call themselves Christians, who are believers, where we don't just automatically view anything and everything that passes before our eyes. If we learn the effects and how it can positively or negatively impact our lives and our, our, our futures, then sometimes we're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to look at that. And nowadays, you know, with social media, everyone's exposed. I used to have to, you know, talk to people to know what they're doing. <laughs> but I, I, I see sometimes in, in, in Christians' lives a lack of discernment, a lack of self-governance. And, and judgment to where they would say, just because this is in the theater, just because this is on the, t the TV, doesn't mean I'm supposed to look at it. And I'm not saying, I'm not uh, implying, or this is not where I'm going, that we can't look at, watch, uh, you know, be entertained by any of these things. We can. Some of it can be very enjoyable. But uh, things have changed in a, in a dramatic fashion, even in, in recent years. They've been going downhill for a long time. It used to be that you could watch, you know, television, network shows during the evening, and they were at least mostly okay. <laughs> Family-friendly is what I mean, meaning they're not just shoving immorality down your throat. Uh, it's not the case anymore. There have, been, there have been programs that we've, we've watched as, as families. And, you know, you, get, you can get kind of hooked on them because they build. And then the next season, you can't wait to see what happens next. And then at some point, nope, I don't care what happens anymore. Because you kind of want to know, but nope, sorry. I am not going to. Uh, you're introducing this now? You're going down this path with this show? I'm out of here. See, no one's telling me to do that. I'm not telling you to do that. There's got to be some kind of self-governance in there, in there, though. 
where we recognize if I continue to watch to receive these images in my mind repeatedly, it cannot have a positive effect. I tell you, you'll be the first person in the prayer line. And part of the prayer will be, come out, stupidness. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. <laughs> We understand some things are removed by faith and prayer and authority and, and believing God, laying on our hands the anointing. But a lot of times they're not maintained because we put ourselves back in a position where the vision inside of us creates that condition again. And if I don't work, think not only short term but also long term in recreating a right and proper vision internally, then I'm going to end up in the same place. I'm going to end up with the same problems. Everybody Okay. And so I, I just encourage you to think about this. Uh, you know, a, f a friend of ours who's ministered here before, uh, Robert uh, Scales, he, he, he said after he got born again, uh, uh, he, he was a real soap opera watcher. And, uh, and I thought that takes courage even for a man to say that. <laughs> but he admitted that in front of everyone. He watched these soap operas. And he got saved, and he was in his house one day, and he said, Jesus spoke to him and said, it hurts me when you watch that. And so he stopped. But I don't think a lot of us have even thought of it that way, that, that the Lord is personally interested in what we're giving ourselves over to. I think there needs to be some wisdom. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 reads this way. If, you're, if you've got your scripture, go to Genesis 30. Genesis 30. This verse says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you see, he doesn't say the things that are not seen are not real. He says, in fact, they're eternal. But it is possible for us to look at things unseen. How, how, how do we do that? Well, we do that with the heart. We can all look at things that are not visible to the physical eye. We can even use our imagination by faith. How many know we could imagine ourselves in a certain way? And it could be a help to us, and it could be a detriment to us. But if we will use our imaginations, they're going all the time, aren't they? I mean, some of you already, while I'm speaking, you've imagined different things and played out some different pictures in your mind. See, it's working. The, the vision part of us inwardly is constantly going. If we will use that by faith to imagine God's best, His promises fulfilled, if we will use them and attach our faith to it, it can produce amazing results, seeing the promises of God fulfilled. Now, Genesis 30, did you find that? That's the one I want you to look at with me today. In Genesis chapter 30, we read... And this is the very first book in the Bible, if you're uh, new to these matters. Then, very first book, chapter 30. We want to read about a guy named Jacob. And Jacob uh, was working for his father-in-law named Laban. And he had married uh, Laban's daughters. And uh, yes, I said daughters. That's weird and everything I know, but that's what he did. <laughs> And he had been working there a very long time and was ready to, to move out and go out on his own. 
okay? And so I want to read this over in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 25. It says, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, so Rachel is Jacob's wife, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Isn't that an interesting principle that Laban was blessed? Why? Why? Because he was connected to Jacob. Interesting. I wonder what blessings are transpiring in our lives because of our connection with someone else. Be very watchful before you cut people off in your life. Because it may be that you're being blessed through them. Be very slow to, 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 to say, I've had enough with that church. I don't like the way so-and-so did this. I don't like the way this was said or this was done. You might be cutting off a blessing in your life. Everybody okay today? I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. So you can smile, look straight ahead, or you can groan. Uh, verse 28, uh, he goes on to say, Then he said, Name your wages, and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, I, I know how I have served you. You know how I have served you. And how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little. And it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when I shall provide, when shall I provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Now, in other words, totally like, yes, this is a good deal, do it. It's like, that's all you want? Take them. Verse 35, so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. Now stop there for a moment. He's doing something that might seem very odd. What are you doing, Jacob? Uh, hello, Jacob and his wives, you know, are saying, Jacob, what are you doing? <laughs> What's with you peeling all these stripes in the rods? What happened, what he was doing here is very interesting because he, he actually got it from God. If you read a little bit further on into the next chapter, you'll read that the Lord had shown him that he was going to bless him with the speckled and the spotted animals. And that they would increase. And this was actually God's revelation to him on how to make this happen. 
which is interesting to me on a number of levels. First, first I want to say this. God will give us natural activities to be involved in that will cause his blessing to increase in our lives. Not every time do we just say, Lord, I pray, I ask you for this, I give my seed, I give my offering, and I believe I receive more. In response to that, he will often give us natural directives. Do this now. Go here. Huh? Don't see them as unspiritual. Almost, almost like uh, Naaman the Syrian who, who, who was, went to Elijah to be healed of leprosy. And he was annoyed with the method by which it came. Because he didn't even come out of, the, out of the house. He sent his servant out there and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll come up clean. And, and Naaman was a big shot in his land and he thought the prophet would come out, greet him personally, probably laud him for his great military, you know, expertise, and then go, leprosy be gone. And he had this all worked out in his mind. And the, and, and the word of the Lord was, go take a bath in the river. And you know that whole story, he finally obeyed and, and humbled himself and got rid of his pride and did it and, came, and got healed. Uh, but likewise it is, when we follow the Lord and do what he says, he will give us natural steps to take. Don't despise them. Don't think, ah, that's, that, why would I do that? Jacob could have said, Lord, if you want to give me lots of animals and bless me with cattle and all this stuff, just do it. You're God. Like, boom, make it happen. That's not the way it works. God could have put Israel on the other side of the Red Sea by snapping his fingers if he wanted to. But no, we're going to go through the middle. We're going to have a separation. We're going to, there are ways that he wants to work. Everybody okay? And so uh, he showed him that, and you can read about that in Genesis 31. But let's pick up here in verse 38. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so they should conceive when they came to drink. Think about that. Got these stripes and these spots and these, and, and so the animals are sticking their mouth in the water, and what are they seeing? Spots and stripes and speckles. Verse 39, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Now, this is kind of amazing to me. This is, and this was the Lord's doing. He told him how this works. But literally, these animals are looking at the spots and specks and stripes, and as a result of that image going into their eyeballs, then they are being impregnated at that time. It literally had an effect on their offspring. That what they saw with their physical eyes had a physical, it, it altered something physically within them so their calves and so forth came out with specks and spots and stripes. That's pretty interesting. I don't know if anyone's tried that with their pets, but <laughs> but this reveals to us a reality of, phys of the physical nature of, of, of our world. And this shows us the power of what we see. You see something, you, it's not good English, but it rhymes, you be something. 
right? And if you want to produce certain things in your life, you've got to get them before your eyes. That vision needs to get in you. And I know it's not physical, it's not tangible, but it alters physical realities. And this is what happened. So he, he went on, then verse 40, Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stranger... Uh, uh, whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man of God became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And so if what the animals saw affected what they produced, at what should we be looking? Because it will then affect what we produce in life. And I'm not just talking about having babies, obviously. But this principle is influential in our lives in many different ways. What do you see yourself doing? Well, it is very much affected by what you have seen with your physical eye up until this point. And if what you've observed has been not so wonderful or not so desirable, there is an immediate need to change the picture. The picture in here needs to change. You're not going to prosper outwardly until you prosper inwardly. You're not going to receive on the outside until you get something changed on the inside. There have been... Uh, experiments done or studies, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've read about some of these where uh, medical doctors have taken individuals who have lost movement in one arm or the other, uh, and these are usually via stroke. Something got tweaked up in their brain, and all of a sudden they're paralyzed. They lost movement in one side of their body, or they can't lift their arm. And so what they've done is they've taken a mirror... And they put a mirror next to the person and they move their, uh, their functioning arm. How many know when you're looking in the mirror though, it's reversed? So it's interesting, even though they know they're doing it, you look in the mirror, hey, my left arm is moving. Even though they know it's not, but it sure looks like it is. And by moving one and getting this visual, this vision inside of them, of their non-working arm working, it has produced immobile arms that all of a sudden can move. It changes the brain just by seeing themselves do something that they can't do. Amazing that it would work in that realm. See, this is a principle that works across the board. I wonder what you should see yourself doing. Whether you can use a mirror or not. Or whether we use the Word of God as a mirror. Which is, uh, which is a very, that's a whole other message right there. But you use the Word of God as a mirror and you start to see yourself according to it instead of what you see in your physical mirror how you've perceived yourself, you begin to see yourself, you, oh, there, this is who I am, this is what I have, this is what I can do, this is, this is who I am in Christ, and you begin to see yourself that way, it will impact your life. Huge. Bigly. <laughs> Amen. 
<laughs> there was this guy in 1954 um, named uh, Roger Bannister. Maybe you've heard of him. He was the first guy, he was a runner, he was a doctor too, but he was a runner, uh, who, the first guy to break running a mile in four minutes. All right? There was a barrier there for the longest time. All the Olympic athletes, all the run, people would run, and they were not able to run a mile in less time than four minutes. And finally, this guy did it by less than, you know, milliseconds or whatever it was. But uh, he, he broke the barrier and ran in less than uh, four minutes. And his record lasted 46 days. And someone else did it and beat him. And since that time, even though that's still very, very fast, many, many people have, and it's gone down and down and down, and many people have broken that record and are able to run that fast that far. What is the deal there? Why is it when one person does it that other people are now able to do it as well? A lot of it has to do with vision. There is a mental barrier that exists when we think something cannot be done, then it becomes virtually impossible for us to accomplish. But if we can sometimes see someone else do it, and listen, we can take advantage of that. If you know people in your life or in the world that are accomplishing, doing things that you want to, that's, in your, that's your desire, then use them as an example. Go for it. It's a vis visible illustration. You know people who have been healed of something that you're not healed of? Use that as an example. Whatever you can do to help create in you a vision of a better life. But many, many people have done that. And, uh, and I think a lot of it is just because now they believe it's possible. Now they look at their obstacle. Now they look at what's happening, what they want to, what they want to happen. And, and they think they can. It's a possibility vision inside. It's, it's big. Amen. Much, uh, much is controlled by what we can conceive with our own minds. Are, are there things in your life that you say, you know, I just can't ever imagine myself, you know, fill in the blank. I can't ever imagine myself having this, doing this, being this, accomplishing. Well, it's time, if, if it's something that's worthy, if it's something that you want, it's time to start imagining yourself doing it. Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big hindrance to many. They, they ask for prayer. I'm praying that this will take place, praying that this will happen. But can you see yourself doing it? Well, I can't. Start. Find something to look at. Find something to imagine. Find something to rehearse in your mind that removes the barrier of it's impossible for a human being to run a mile in less than four minutes. We've got to get that cleared out. Find the strips and the rods, whatever. Every, if you drink water a lot, <laughs> put it there. <laughs> Amen. Well, what, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. I'm just looking practical. What do you do a lot? In the bathroom, in the mirror, in the car, in the refrigerator. Where do you go a lot? Can you, can you set up reminders? Can you, can you look for a practical way to envision the, your life being the way it is supposed to be? Take a word from God and imagine yourself with it. Having it. Doing it. Being it. Amen. A word from God. 
So I read that word. That's a good word. Stop. Slow down, man. Don't just read, I know that, I've heard that. No. See yourself doing that. There's a reason why one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways the Lord communicates to us is through visions and dreams. It's one of the signs of a spirit-filled life. Acts chapter 2, you get filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, and you have visions and dreams. It's one of the ways. He doesn't just speak to us in words. He shows us things. You can read many examples in the Bible how he, the Lord showed someone. It has power because it's visual. Amen. This would be a good prayer. Father, give me a vision, a dream, an image, a picture of what you want me to do, to be, to have. Help me to see it. Yeah? And in the, in the meditation of that, the power of God, which is not limited outside of us, but is only limited toward us when we can't see it happening. Now, I'm sure it's by design. God created us, not by accident. <laughs> we weren't an accident of, accident of nature, you know. <laughs> From the goo to the zoo to you. <laughs> uh, but God designed us with eyes on one side of our head. I'm thinking that should say something. What, 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 what are you talking about? I mean, I can't look at everything. I can't see everything. And I'm not supposed to see everything. In fact, our necks were designed in such a way that they can save us a lot of harm in life. Because when we find ourselves looking at something we shouldn't be looking at, we can turn. <laughs> that might sound silly. It might sound very simplistic. But we are, there are some things we're not designed to look and stare at and keep in our gaze and focus on. And there are other things we're absolutely supposed to be fixing our gaze upon. Let's do a little... Uh, yeah, we're almost finished, but I want to make sure we, we know how this works. So let's all do this and, and practice this together. Everybody ready? Okay, to your left, my right. Okay, let, ready? Here we go. Turn. Yeah, that worked. Now on three, ready? One, two, three. See, I just proved you don't have to look at everything. There are some things going on in your life and, and in your home and in your, in your world and it's time to turn away from it. It's not going to make it go away. You're just not going to give it any more attention. You're going to stop letting that define the vision you have inside of you. And it's intentional. You're doing it on purpose. It's the grace of God. But just stop. Start looking away. And then when you find something worthy of an inward vision, a God-level quality of something, look at it. Stare. Fix your gaze. Be absorbed. And let the Word of God paint a picture inside of you of a better life. Amen.